You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'm Kim Grinnells of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, and it is Stanford week with a 7.30 kickoff Saturday night at, uh, at uh, Husky Stadium, and uh, we're expecting the weather to be moderate. We keep on looking at the five-day forecast, the 10-day forecast, and no rain in sight you know, for the upcoming time period coming up. But after Stanford, Washington uh, is going to be on the road for a little bit. Three out of the next, is it three out of the next four games will be on the road? Something like that. Yeah, well, they're at UCLA on a Friday night. Back home from think, Arizona. Yeah, and then they have Arizona State. I don't look that far ahead, <laughs> honestly. I just don't. Yeah, but, I mean, they've, they're starting off. Can you remember? I mean, I'm sure it's happened before, but, you know, starting the season with four home games um, isn't the norm. So they'll pay for it next year with an extra road game, you know, at Michigan State, and then that extra conference game also on the road. Well, I just know that the, they're going to try to go 4-0 for the first time since 2017. And that was the year where they were undefeated going to Arizona State. And then that was the game where um, who got hurt. It was like a couple of big people got hurt. Um, Trey Adams, I think, got hurt in that game. Yeah. And then was it Taylor Rapp or someone else got hurt at the very, very end? Um, so, yeah, it was just – but, you know, again, they have a chance to do something they haven't done in six seasons. So it's it, – this is a big – this is a huge, huge game. And – Talking to the coaches and players this week, it's clear they are so focused on trying to instill this one and zero mindset that they're they're really working hard to try to make sure that there's no emotional letdown to a win over a, a top ten team, top eleven team in Michigan State. By the way, it's uh, UCLA and Arizona State on the road for two straight weeks, and then Arizona at home on the fifteenth, and then. On the road at Cal. Head out to Cal. On the 22nd of October. And then on the 25th of, 26th of October, actually. So the Wednesday after the Cal game, um, basketball media down in San Francisco. So basketball season is going to be upon us before we know it as well. Um, Monday, we had a chance to talk to Coach DeBoer as well as the coordinators. And, you know, the thing that kind of always strikes me with uh, Coach DeBoer is he's always the same guy. Um, he doesn't change on game day. He doesn't change after the game. He doesn't really change in the press conferences. He's just the same guy all the time. And we saw that again on Monday. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he and they, they said it when, you know, you said the same thing when he talked to Kalepo. Um, when he came off after that that uh, personal foul penalty, and just that's the way he is. That's who he is. He's never different, and he doesn't get too high. He doesn't get too low, and I think he's a pretty happy guy who's comfortable in his skin. Yeah. Anything else jump out at you from you know what Coach DeBoer had to say on Monday? No, just that uh, I think he just 
because the way it works is it's the coordinators go first, and then DeBoer is the last coach to talk. And he just kind of reiterated what Ryan Grubb had said in terms of the main talking points, namely really cleaning up the goal line offense and making sure that they get all the details right on the, on those particular plays because that was – I think that was – I know the coaches don't want to say it's a surprise because they're going to tell you they've seen everything, but um, I'm sure that when they put the film on there, they, they felt like the details that they focused on during the week were not executed anywhere near to the level they needed to be. So he talked a lot about that. And he talked about some individual performances. Obviously, he talked a lot about Mike uh, Michael Penix and um, – and those guys, as well as the defense and how they stepped up. But, yeah, in general, I think he just had nothing but really, really good things to say about them and uh, and also gave us a little bit on, on what to expect from Stanford. Are you? I'm still surprised every time he addresses injuries because we're so used to coaches not talking about them. Um, I'm just wondering how long that's going to last. But, but, I mean, has he really given us anything? Well, I mean, he said that Asa Turner not expected to be back, saying that Jackson Kirkland was expected to be back. And, and he, hasn't been. Yeah. I mean, that's three straight weeks where yeah, he's you told can, us. Yeah, you can play this week-to-week game and, yeah. be, and be the nice guy and do all that stuff, yeah. while the whole way everyone's looking the other way because it's like, oh, well, he's saying they're week-to-week. Yeah. But that was the, you know. And that's know, what it's been on Jordan Perryman, Yeah, too. I know Chip Kelly got a, got a huge rap for Bane. You're either you're either week-to-week or you're out for the year. You know, I think he's been pretty consistent in saying, mm-hmm. especially with Edifuano Lafoscio, for instance, that was the first major injury concern that people were talking about because everyone knew he could be out for a long time. And he was like, yeah, it, it looks like probably midseason, if not longer. And mm-hmm. that's a really a long-term injury, so we're not going to worry too much Get, about getting it. Getting back to Asa Turner, you're right. The fact that he said he doesn't look like he's going to be available, but, I mean. Those are the kind of comments that yeah. surprise me. Yeah. But, again, this week, David Shaw – he he publicly confirmed that their running back, E.J. Smith, Emmett Smith's son, is going to be out for this game. Mm-hmm. That's a monster blow to that offense. You look at that offense, if he's out of their run attack, and that's a big part of what they do, the next best guy, uh, Filkins, Casey Filkins, doesn't even have 100 yards in the season. Now, they've played only two games. But still, that that's a monster drop-off in terms of production. And so when I'm sure when the Washington coaches heard that, they, you know, alarm bells are going off. Because on the one hand, do you take it seriously? And if you do take it seriously, that could change a lot of what they want to do on defense. Yeah, well, with Stanford coming in and Tanner McKee, you know, uh, under center, I expect Stanford to throw the ball quite a bit, especially with their missing their main running back. This, that's true, I, I, for yeah. sure. And they always have those, those big 50-50 jump ball guys that are 6'4", 6'5". But, again, you know, we asked the, the players not to jump too far ahead, but – you know, they talked about going up against guys like Rome and those guys every week, taller guys like Junior Alexander and some of those guys. You know, they're, they're now used to going up and, and going after some of those guys. And they're also going to see, when they break down the film with the USC tape, they're going to see guys like Blackman from USC, the Colorado transfer. He got a tip pick in the end zone on a, on a fade to the end zone. That, that usually is kind of David Shaw's bread and butter near the goal line. He's going to want to run those fades. And, um, and so they weren't very successful. And so Washington's got the blueprint on how to do it. Yeah, and the thing of it is, when I was down at um, Media Day and had a chance to talk to Tanner McKee for a few minutes, I was kind of surprised. He is he is not filled out. He's a thin kid. I was actually kind of surprised how thin he was. I was expecting him to look like Jacob Eason. Um, no, he looks he looks like a, a small forward basketball player. Okay. Well, yeah, I 
Can, I, he looks bigger than that to me on the field, at least when I've seen him play. But I haven't seen him in person. But uh, he can be small all he wants. He, the guy can throw the ball, ball around. Yeah, and, and talking to the coaches this yeah. week, I mean, you got the sense that, you know, clearly he's not Colin Schley, the kid from Kent State. No. Clearly he's not Sashray, the kid from Portland no. State. But when he needs to step up and take the ball, if he needs on those RPOs or on those, on those zone reads, if, if he's got to tuck it, he's going to take it. Mm-hmm. And he's a big enough kid that he can get a first down. He can lean and, and do some things. That said, is he, it, it, are the teams going to try to take away the run threat first to make him run? Probably. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I would if I was a coordinator because that's, that's their main threat. And if, they have to, if he has to end up running the ball 10 to 15 times because they're taking away the running back or they're taking away things to the point where it looks like he's got some open running lanes and then they can close quick, quickly on him, that could be a win for Washington if they're able to, to make those guys a little bit one-dimensional in the run game. With uh, what happened at uh, Nebraska over the past uh, past week with you know Scott Frost getting fired, a lot of people, and you know how this goes with coaching search, guys just start searching for names to throw out there, and Kalen DeBoer's name is being mentioned as a possibility because he's from you yeah, know the Midwest. Mid- Midwest. And uh, I just kind of, you know, with what we've been, our interaction with Coach DeBoer, Ian, I, I, I'd be absolutely yeah. stunned. Are you, guys, are you guys surprised, though? That Washington fans, because of that game against Michigan State, they're scared. Are now having some sort of weird coaching PTSD thingamajiggy, whatever you want to call it, because three games in, now all of a sudden, Kalen DeBoer could be a potential candidate mm-hmm. for Nebraska when they're bringing out names like Urban Meyer. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> on the, I, I get why the questions are being asked, mm-hmm. but don't be yeah. surprised when you're told it's absurd. Well, think about, it's absurd. Think about this. Other it's a twelve million dollar buyout. I'm, I'm by trying the way. to. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Um, I can only remember one coach in in the last seventy years that has left Washington at, to upgrade to another program. Like, and that was Sark. Uh, well, but that wasn't after one year. I know, but what and- I'm saying is. Even if he had been here five years, I want to say, was it Daryl Rogers in the fifties? Yeah, after that's one what I'm, year? that's what I'm saying. It was almost seventy. Yeah. in the last seventy years, one coach has left willingly yeah. to go to another pro to well, go to another program. So, the fact that people are scared about this, a, a Nebraska well, and team, no, no one's going to pay twelve million dollar buyout but, for but, Kalen DeBoer. But a, but a Nebraska team that it, why why would he want to go there right now? Nebraska would, by the way, but it's just not going to happen. Not not for a cow, not not for a coach of but, Kalen DeBoer's stature. Yeah, he yes. he has he's going to have to win four or five more years yeah, consistently I mean, to to garner that kind of a buyout. Nebraska is going to step up to the plate for whoever they hire. Right, and it's going to be like an Urban Meyer type. It's not going to be for a Kalen DeBoer type. Yes. If anything, they're going to if they want to stay and go for a Midwest guy. The guy that that's obviously been mentioned is Matt Campbell. Yeah, and, and that was a guy that was clearly in the middle of this coaching church before DeBoer was was they're gonna write a targeted candidate. I mean, I'm pretty close to a guy who's pretty well connected at Nebraska. They're gonna they're gonna back up a Brinks truck and they're gonna get somebody good. Well, and that's not that's well, that's not new news. Not but Kim, that's not new news because there's nothing else in Nebraska. They're going. To, They've got plenty of money. They're gonna go out and get somebody who's a named coach. It doesn't yeah. mean it's gonna be somebody good. Dan Campbell, Bill O'Brien would be. Yeah, like Bill O'Brien. Team. I mean, really? I yeah. mean, seriously. If I'm a Nebraska fan and I hear Bill O'Brien, I'm I'm committing Harry Carey. I, I, I wouldn't want a guy like Bill O'Brien anywhere near that. Program. Why is that? Because they've already had retreads like Bill Callahan. Are you kidding me? Really? 
That's the guy you, you that's the guy you would target? Well, yeah, I mean he coached in the oh. NFL. His team's oh. won in the NFL. He had some issues back there when he became the general manager, but he took over that Penn yeah. State program that yeah. was in disarray after the uh, after the whole um, Okay, uh, so what you're saying is that there. you're saying the grand plan is for that for him to hold the program together for a couple of years and then go after well, somebody take, else. Well, he, you know, he was down with uh, Nick Saban, you know, with in the rehab program, and the people who've been through Nick Saban's rehab program all seem to have landed on their feet pretty well. Yeah. Some have, others like yeah. Butch Jones have ended up at Arkansas State. Yeah. So I don't. I mean, you tell me. I. It, I'm just saying. Yeah, but let's get with the money that they can put together. I think Matt Campbell's Campbell's probably the guy. But I I think, you know, I go back to, you know, the introduction press conference with Coach DeBoer. And when somebody asked him about how long he planned on being here and just, I can't remember the exact. um, I can tell you exactly what he said. Yeah, but he asked his family, you know, about moving around. And they're going, yeah, we don't want to move again. he, He said this is probably their last move for a while. Well, and he's got and he's got kids that yeah. are of the age where they they well, need to settle down. For he's a got bit. a he's got one daughter who's is she a junior in high school this year? Yeah, sophomore, junior, something. Yeah, like that. and yeah. I, where is she at? Uh, I don't know. I know um, he. I don't know where what high school she went to, but I know he moved over into the Lakemont area okay. and bought over you know uh, in that area, Newcastle, Issaquah ish okay. area. So uh, my gut, if I had to guess, would be. Eastside Catholic, or okay. Skyline, maybe somewhere over there. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, you know, he's. Uh, I I don't see Kalen DeBoer. If Kalen DeBoer leaves, I I just especially with Washington on the brink of possibly going to the Big Ten, and getting a windfall of cash and and doing all those things. Granted, it's probably two or three years away, but all those things, I I just don't see him choosing to leave the University of Washington unless. You Something see him, really weird. Do you happened. see him as a guy chasing money and chasing prestige? And he chasing, doesn't seem like that type of a person. Chasing no. the bigger job, chasing the bigger media market. No. Sark Sark was always going to be looking for the next job. Same with Jimmy when yeah. Jimmy was here, and, yeah. and, and they were Pete, never head coaches. But Pete was not. Yeah, and when we we thought Pete was going to retire here, we just thought it was going to be like he did, like ten years <laughs> after he did it, but. Yeah. But um, but I also I, get that sense from most of the assistant coaches. I'm I'm not seeing the assistant coaches yeah. being the type that are looking to the next shiny object. I, I don't think they are either. But I think Ryan Grubb is a guy that I think a lot of schools are going to start looking at as a possibility. The way he's handled the you know Jake Hayner, the way he's handled um, Michael Penix so far. I think if Washington's really successful this year, he might not get the job offers he's looking for this year. But I think if he does it one more time, and let's say with Dylan Morris or or um, Sam Heward next year, and do you, do you think he wants to be a head coach? Yes, every OC wants to be well, a, a head coach. I kind of seem like Pete Kwiatkowski, where he's just that's fine. different. That's different. Yeah. Why is Pete, that? Why is that different? It's just it's the way. Offensive coaches are. They want to go and run because it's such an offensive game. Every offensive coordinator that I've I've seen interviewed and that's really good wants to be a head coach. Norm Chow, we all thought Norm well, Chow was never going to want to be a head coach, and he wanted to be one. Well, but so. then again, how long did it take Norm Chow before he finally accepted a head coaching job? I mean, he was a, he was an offensive coordinator at BYU forever, and then he was an offensive coordinator at USC forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just it took that he took him forever to do. So even if Ryan Grubb does become a head coach at some point, and I'm not saying that wouldn't happen, that's got to. I mean, I think if he because again, Kim, you you have invoked the name of Chow. 
when talking about Ryan Grubb in terms of the wizard, in terms of the mad scientist, yeah. all that kind of stuff. I get it. It makes a lot of sense. But if we're going to follow career trajectories for Ryan Grubb in the same way we follow a career trajectory for Norm Chow, Ryan Grubb won't be a head coach until 2040 or 2035. <laughs> by, that time, by that time, who knows if DeBoer's even around. The other thing I was going to say too, um, Scott, and <laughs> one reason I was smiling is because you were talking about realignment a little bit. For all those fans that have this weird notion that he might go somewhere in the Big, in, in, in Big Ten territory, mm-hmm. whether it was the Nebraska or something like that, Washington could end up being in the Big Ten in less than five years. Yeah. So what, what, what difference does it make? Whether he's living in Seattle, but he's playing against Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Iowa, whatever, same difference. So in that sense, why would he need to go to the Midwest when he's literally living the Midwest life in a, well, I would consider my personal opinion, you can send the emails to me if you want, but in a better place. We're going to have to start doing video because those just listening, you're just missing out on Chris Fetters and all of his hand signals. You're just totally missing out. Yeah. So, um, you know, but I always uh, remember uh, what Coach Romar said one time when somebody asked him when the UCLA job had opened up and asked him if he had um, interest in he said that something he learned in the coaching profession that, you know, uh, many don't take the advice is don't mess with happy, you know, and uh, Coach Romar was always happy here, you know, especially at the beginning. And, you know, I think Coach DeBoer and Coach Grubb might be of that same ilk, you know, don't mess with happy, you know, because you may not find it again. Mm-hmm. So, um, but uh, lots of interesting stuff after the game and we had a chance to talk to players on Tuesday, um, I spent a long time talking to Julius Irvin, which was really interesting with the stuff that he's been through, um, his brother passing, family issues, the whole COVID thing. And some of these guys have been through a lot, and, you know, the fans don't realize how tough it is. And just kind of going through all of that and then, um, you know, having to move positions, it's a lot to ask, especially when your dad is, you know, a former Pro Bowl uh, football player, the expectations are pretty high. So I thought it was pretty interesting talking to uh, Irvin. And I mean, you listened to what he had to say. It, it, it was pretty, he got a little emotional at times talking about all that. Well, I did a little background in trying to figure out exactly when his sibling passed. And it was the day after the Cal game, 2019. So it literally was the day that the Cal game ended. Because the the day the game ended mm-hmm. what about two o'clock or one o'clock or In whatever morning, it was whatever it was and um, and it was later that day um, did not even realize that I mean I cover this team I did not realize that that was a big shock to me and I think the the sense that I get is that these guys and of course I'm completely speaking in generalities but I get the sense that these guys feel so comfortable around this new staff and that the new staff has opened up to them in a way that it has shown that they can be vulnerable at times, and that's allowed these guys to open up and show moments where they have felt vulnerable or, as Julius had said, he was in a dark place. And you don't – 19, 20-year-old kid – should never have to be in a dark place. This should be the best times of their lives. Well, going through that and then the whole COVID thing and then Jimmy Lake getting fired and all that, all that kind of well, stuff. Well, I didn't realize yeah. before he committed to Washington, like about a month before, his mom had suffered an aneurysm, brain aneurysm. Yeah. I mean, holy moly. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a lot to put on a kid. And that's just, that's crazy. And, and for him to persevere and then the reaction from the team when he got the pick. Against Michigan State, you could see 
just how much it meant, not just to him, but to everybody. Yeah, the two moments I've seen the bench absolutely explode was, you know, first of all, in Jaden Green's tackle. And I mean, they, the team just rally around him and they were so happy for him. And again, on that Julius Irvin pick, how happy they were, you know, and it had more to do with Julius as a person than the pick itself. They were happy for him, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure that the reaction would have been the same for uh, other guys on the team. It would have been happy for the pick. They were genuinely happy for Julius. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, you've have you have friends that it's like they they have they find success and you know what they've been through and that all that stuff but that pick was on the 10 yard line so well, no, it was 15 it was, yard lines so. the, the moment when it happened the, the situation the yeah i think the they still pretty went, been pretty fired up yeah, yeah the score yeah. and everything else that was a big moment for yeah. them in the game too so for a on a number of levels you could tell just how much it yeah. meant to them. Yeah, you know, it, it, and it just amazes me, you know, these kids, and I still call them kids. You're not necessarily a, an adult when you turn 18 or 19. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer for some of these guys. But, you know, just to go through everything that they have to do, football's hard enough, and then they've got to do school. They're away from their family. The whole COVID thing, you know, they had to go through the isolation, the Zoom calls and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think that, you know, there's going to be some come through the other end of this is really, really strong individuals mm -hmm. when all is said and done, you yeah, know, five well, years after they're you done talk, here. You talk about their age group, the amount of depression that is uh, in this country right now mm -hmm. when they talk about these kids going through depression. So, <clears throat> and, you know, now, so from, from COVID and all the stuff that they had to do where they didn't have community because that's one of the things that you choose when you're playing football is – you have a group of a hundred guys and then coaches and support staff and they're, they're all one big family and they all know each other and they're all separated for about a year and a half. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we can, you can argue about whether they were, they should have done those things or not, but they that's just reality. It was what it was. And so these guys have gone through a lot of depression and things like that. So, um, I, I think, uh, it's great to, to see them back in some sort of normalcy and getting the support that they're looking for. Michael Penix and the word Heisman are starting to be mentioned in the same sentence here and there. A uh, little surprised or a little surprised it took so long? Well, I'm trying to think. I mean, was Jake Locker ever mentioned in a Heisman talk? Yes, he was. Yeah. A before, little bit? Before yeah. his senior season. So uh, preseason, so pre yeah. but not during season. No. Not in season. So the last in-season quarterback would be who, Marcus? Mm, Cody Pickett, maybe. Maybe? Okay. I don't know about Marcus. Um, because his really, he, I thought Marcus ended up like sixth or seventh in the Heisman he? in two thousand. I don't remember that. Okay, I don't remember that. Right. Um, but uh, Cody Pickett maybe because of just the numbers that he was putting up in what two thousand two. Yeah, so we're talking twenty, but it's been yeah. twenty years. Yeah, it's been a while. That, that was, I guess that well, was my, my it, biggest point. Washington's is that it's never been had a had a Heisman winner. What's the highest? It was I'm, I'm assuming like someone Edmund. like Hugh Edmund, I think was fourth. He was fourth or fifth. Yeah, was what fourth. was McElhaney? Did they even have it back then? I don't know then? if they even had voting. Did they even have voting? Uh -huh. Back then, whatever whatever, well, whatever it was, Washington doesn't do – they do Outland trophies. They do a lot of other things. They do not do um, Heisman trophies typically. They, they just don't get mentioned for it. But when you look at what Michael Penix has done, the way he's thrown the ball, the way he's done it on the national stage now with the Michigan State game, um, even though I personally think Michigan State was – was not the num even the, if it said they were the number eleven or number nine team in the country, whichever poll you want to go with. I still don't think they were that good, but they were it, that 
doesn't matter. They still said they were – the polls still said they were what they were. Now he needs to follow it up and continue to stay healthy. If he stays healthy and this team continues to win, even if they don't go perfect, let's say they go 9-3, and 10-2, and two, he's going to be in the conversation the whole season. See, and I, I just don't – I hypothetically, I'm asking you this. Let's say Washington goes undefeated regular season, you know, even before playoffs mm-hmm. or whatever, because we know that the Heisman gets announced even before playoffs. It gets announced right after the right after conference the, the championship, championship games. Yeah, so let's say they go undefeated, they win a conference championship, he beats USC or Utah or whoever they play. But yet you're talking about Stroud or Ohio State. You're talking about Bryce Young. You're talking about Stetson. I'm not Bennett. saying he'd win it, but no, 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 he'd no, no, be no. on the stage. What I'm saying is, with those high-profile guys already ahead of him, and assuming you know Georgia, Alabama, or Ohio State don't lose any games, is there any chance? that a guy like Panix can come from anywhere outside of those top four or five schools and possibly win a Heisman. Because I'm, I'm, I'm obviously using my Mike Washington, yeah. but I'm talking about anybody. I'm talking about Caleb Williams at SC. He'll what happens if they go undefeated? Would he win the Heisman Trophy if those guys are still undefeated? Yes. I, just, I just wonder. Yes, he would because of the what he can do with his legs. But the, the thing about Michael Penix is you, took a te- you take a team that was 4-8 last year. Granted, talent-wise, they weren't a 4-8 team. They were probably more of an eight and four team, um, talent wise last year. But they took. He's taken a team. He's really the only difference in that. Other than the coaching staff, he's really the only difference. And he's taken them from four and eight to now in your scenario undefeated and winning a conference title. Yeah. I I don't see there's see, any way that he isn't on that. And my point is, is it doesn't matter if it's Penix or Caleb Williams or anybody outside of the Big Ten and SEC. If the Big Ten and SEC have undefeated teams, and those quarterbacks are guys like Stroud, Bryce Young, Stetson Bennett, it's those still, guys will win the Heisman all day before anybody out west would. And it still comes down to the population map, and you take a look at where the Heisman voters are, and then you it's dr- like th- three quarters of them are on well, east like, of the Mississippi. For instance, let's and, say, and they're not going to be able to see him. I mean, we've had this will be the second seven thirty game, well, and I can promise yeah. you those Heisman voters. Aren't that's watching the whole point. Game, yeah. Those guys are all going to be asleep by halftime if they're even watching to begin but with. But if he throws for let's, I'm just throwing out a scenario. Let's say he throws for 350 yards and five touchdowns in that game, and maybe runs for another score. Okay, in that game, and then they wake up and they see that Washington won, and they see the stats he put up. Sometimes those guys just go off of stats. Yeah. They don't well, that's go by the what thing. they saw. What they, but what they need to do is if they're looking really at the stats, they'll notice that, yes, he threw for 397 yards for the entire game against Michigan State. But when the game was 39-14 to 14 and Washington was at by 25, he had thrown for 394 of those yards mm-hmm. already. Yeah. So if they're really focused on those types of things, that should actually help a guy like Penix. We had a chance to talk to coaches as well uh, this week. I had a chance to talk to Juice Brown and uh, – you know, Juice didn't have a whole lot to say. Uh, he seemed to be in a little bit of coach-speak mode uh, with Coach Brown. But, uh, you know, he's liking the way his guys are playing. You know, we're going to get a, another – I think, you know, they're going to face the best quarterback they faced all year this week in mm-hmm. Tanner McKee. So I think his uh, secondary is up for a big test this week. Well, I would say if you look at the, the you know, what they're going to be facing this year um, – I don't think they'll face a better quarterback, at least from a passing standpoint. 
this year right. for the rest of the year. No, they're not. You don't. You think McKee's better than Caleb Williams? Caleb, they aren't playing Caleb Williams. Oh, that's right. No, well, championship. And, but I'm talking. Oh, I'm just talking about regular, regular season. season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you could maybe throw Cameron Ward in there if he picks things up over at Wazoo. You could Jaden Delora. Yeah, Jaden Delora. Eh. Yeah, they're gonna. Yeah, he's got that bullseye. That guy's in some big trouble. I think when, when they come <laughs> up here. But but that being said, I mean, this is the best quarterback they're gonna face. Yeah. And and the probably the biggest receivers they're going to face yes. on a on a on a play to play basis. So they, these guys are going to have to be on it. These and they're guys, tight ends. Like the, awesome the one thing too. I'll say is these guys will not run by Washington. Okay, they will not run by you. They're just going to beat the crap out of you. Coach, and they're just going to try to out jump you. Yeah, Coach Sheridan always. You had a chance to talk to Coach Sheridan. He always seems to have interesting things to say. Well, I really wanted to focus a little bit more on his history with Mike Penix. You know, because as he said, he says he's known Penix since he was 15. And so their relationship goes back a long way. So I was just kind of curious about their relationship, like on the sidelines during games. You know, how much does he try to keep it light with Mike? Does he try to just really stick to the points? And, you know, he was like, you know, every once in a while it might be necessary. But he goes, that guy's so cool and calm and collected. He goes, most of the time all I'm doing is simply relaying the information that Coach Grubb wants me to send to him, you know, from the booth. It's, I'm really just – I'm relaying info. That's all I'm really doing because, to be honest, he goes, the majority of my focus is mostly on the guys in my room. We need to talk about the tight ends. But, you know, we did talk uh, – you know, I talked specifically also about – you know, and I don't know how much you guys noticed this, but Michigan State was so focused on the receivers and, and trying to defend the deep shots and those things that, you know, on some key third and fourth down plays, Grubb was able to dial up some stuff with the tight ends – to, to really gash him. And I asked him, I said, are you, are you really looking at this situation within this offense where defenses are so focused and fixated on what the receivers are doing right now that you guys can really maybe take advantage of some situations where, you know, they might bust a coverage or something because their, their attention is so focused on the receivers. He goes, absolutely. He goes, we're, we're working on that stuff all the time. He goes, but, yeah, we've got a lot of things that we can go to um, to really make an impact. But, again, it goes to sequencing. It goes to how Grubb does. That's where we talked about it last week. With, and mm-hmm. There was that, uh, that pop with Rome, Adinzi, where he could have possibly scored on a play if he had just kind Caught of the focused ball. on the fundamentals first. Yeah. So, uh, but, yeah, he, you know, he had some really good things to say, Kim, but I'd say mostly he just really focused on um, the fact that his guys have to continually get better. The goal line stuff, they, he talked they had, they had their part that they had to play in that. And didn't get it done, and so they're focused on that too, um, just like the offensive line is, just like the backs are, just like everything else. And I asked him about, um, you know, trying to coach against the emotional potential emotional letdown. And again, he was he talked the, at the same at same length about being one and zero, that one and zero mindset every single week. They try to hard they try hard to really focus at how, you know. The Michigan State game, that's the game that these guys will talk about 20, 30 years from now. But on Saturday, Sunday, it doesn't matter anymore. It, they've already flushed it. So, um, you know, we'll see how well they do with that. Coach Huff uh, seems to be doing a really good job uh, with the offensive line. I always say people need a pinata, and Coach Huff uh, has started to be at times that pinata that the fans, you know, need to take a stick at and mm-hmm. beat. But uh, his guys are playing pretty. Yeah, well. notice notice how that's not happening much anymore. Yeah, well, it's hard when yeah. hard to do that when, exactly. when his guys are doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah, he's kind of shut up some people. Pretty, yeah, pretty good. I he, you know, and he he talked. Uh, 
you know, I didn't, I barely even asked him a question because other people had basically the same questions that I had. But, um, um, he just said, you know, they, they asked about the protection and, you know, that Michael Penix hasn't been knocked down, you know, hasn't been sacked yet. And, and he said, we still have a ton of stuff that needs to, that we're not doing right. And he said, he said, we've been fortunate that in, in some things we've been, he gets the ball out quickly for us. So that helps too. But he said, you know, my guys are playing well, Troy Fautanu, Roger Rosengarten. Those are two guys he definitely pointed out. And, um, I didn't know. get a chance to talk to him, but I was curious whether or not anyone asked about possibly this, this saga with Jackson Kirkland possibly becoming a little bit of a distraction. No, we did point. not ask about that. Yeah. Um, we did ask. He did get asked if Jackson was good to go, and he goes, he goes, yeah, he's coming along. So yeah, exactly. he, he wouldn't, just, he wouldn't did say. He, did he address the goal line uh, situation? Um, yeah, just basically said something to the effect of um, there were some missed assignments. There were there were some times when when um, you know the back missed the hole or or. Um, Michigan State just kind of said, "Hey, we're we're not letting you in." And I mean, sometimes it's not always just the offense screwing up; it's the defense making a play too. And I mean that that play where um, where Talapapa ends up fumbling it, um, with, I I thought he was in for sure. I was actually getting ready to start writing, and yeah, I, I still I, don't know how he doesn't end up. In I've that watched one. that play like five. Different I thought ways, the ball I'm, was over before yeah, he fumbled. But it was. I mean, that that being said. It, it is what it is, and you you got to be able to get in and, and make it. And um, I remember listening to Greg uh, Lewis yesterday. We're still a little um, surprised that they didn't the review that, right? I was, but it was early in the game, and and I thought I thought that DeBoer should have called the timeout and yeah, and and had him look at it. But whatever it was, I mean, it actually ended up better for Washington because they got two points plus the seven on the on the next kickoff killed so they cl- killed a, little killed bit a of lot clock, of clock too so. but but the other thing is too i mean you listen to greg lewis on the radio and he goes you're only being asked to get a yard i'm a running back you you need to get a yard well and grub grub said it on monday too and, and he was specifically talking about talapapa but he didn't mention him by name he goes when we have a running back on a cornerback mm-hmm. we expect to get a yard mm-hmm. we expect that guy to score that should not be a problem yeah well, the other thing, uh, my second Romar-ism, you know, in the podcast, but uh, I remember Romar when he was asking about, uh, you know, guys not being able to defend certain guys, and he goes, well, you know, those guys practice too, you know. <laughs> you got to give some credit to Michigan State on that. But I It thought- is. They were going up against their strength. Yeah. I mean, their strength was their front on defense. I mean, their, their corners and their safeties have been a big liability for them for a couple years now. But I, I promise you. They have they have watched that film over over and over again, and I'm sure that they spent a lot of time on goal line. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we also need to make sure that people understand Stanford's front's not Michigan State's no, front. No, not this even will close. be this will be when they get down to the one yard line, whether whether it's first down, fourth down, whatever. I have a feeling that their success rate's going to go up. It kind of has to just by. Well, just it was by a zero. Of, right. <laughs> well, no, it wasn't zero because Cam Davis Cam scored. Yeah, so they're, no, they're, they did that have de- that determination. We're going to do this, and you know, we're going to keep on doing it. I think that determination is going to hit first thing at Stanford. Mm-hmm. If they're down on the one, they're running the ball. They're not passing the ball. Yeah, so. and and to be fair to Grubb, it wasn't like he literally just did four plays in a row straight into the line. Like on that fourth down, the one fourth down, he tried to do a little option and showed him a different look, and they just weren't buying mm-hmm. it. Then the second time, he actually tried to keep it with Penix, and that didn't work. A little bush push at the end, that didn't work. Mm-hmm. So he tried some different things. 
But clearly, they, he certainly didn't try any play action. He didn't do some of the other things that maybe could have spread some things open a little bit and maybe given Mike a little bit more in terms of options. And I think the play calling would have been a little bit different if they didn't have the game in as much control as they did at that point. Well, the first game, no, the first time it was only 7 nothing. Yeah. Because you've got to remember, remember, they stop, and then Michigan State has a safety on the very next play to go 9, and then they score on the next drive. So, yeah, the second drive, as we talked about, it kind of burned some clock, and then obviously getting the pick really helped them. Gonna, but the first one was, was, a, was a huge sudden change, potentially. We're going to take a quick break from our sponsors, and when we come back, Scott, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the recruiting front and uh, just a lot of guys here this past weekend and some conversations had. It seems like the perception of Washington is changing a little bit. So that and more when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast introducing the two-way v4 where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance with fuel cell each step feels explosive delivering unparalleled energy return paired with fresh foam experience maximum comfort throughout the game its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition the two-way v4 gives you the tools to play at a high level learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com we're back. It's the guys from Dogman.com. I'm Kim Grinnells along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eckland. And Scott, the sidelines, pregame, a lot of recruits on the, on the field and uh, uh, just different atmosphere at this game, and especially with the blowout uh, win of uh, Michigan State. I'll let you talk a little bit about some conversations you've had, and I had one that was pretty important as well. What's kind of the general feeling that you took from recruiting post-game? Well, every guy that I've talked to, and I've talked to about 20 guys, they all said the same thing. Uh, One guy actually said it's great to have Washington back. Uh, Another guy said um, that just the energy on on the sidelines and how how fun it was to be there and be around the program when they're – when they're playing and some of these are out of state guys some of them are in state guys i mean all the guys i talked to have have just talked about how impressive it was and and to come out to watch the team play well and then have the fans be in it and how loud it was one guy said that i mean his dad's a uh 
old college coach. And he said, I've never been in a game that loud before. So there you go. And I had a chance to talk to Tracy Ford on Sunday, and I just kind of wanted to get his feedback. You know, Tracy, of course, from Ford Sports. And if you're an elite high school athlete, you're probably training at Ford Sports mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah, not just football, yeah. too. Yeah, Lots Tracy's got his ear to the ground and all this stuff. And he reiterated to me, I don't make these decisions for the kids. You know, they ask me questions and stuff. But he said, you know, just going to that game. And Tracy kind of reiterated that a lot of these kids, you know, he keep in mind, most of them are like, 17 years old and it's been since they were maybe 10 11 or 12 since that they were at husky stadium when it was rocking like that at a much younger age he said you know last year after the montana state game you montana know, game yeah a montana game a lot of the recruits just kind of gave up and then the year before it was covid and not you know, nobody was there nobody was there so a lot of them just had you know uh, they were far, so far removed from the program. And he said the most important thing that most of these high-level recruits are looking at, they're looking, they want to win. Mm-hmm. And now that they can actually see a path to winning, where with Jimmy they may not have seen that, especially after last year, but they were able to actually see um, you know, a path to winning here. And he said the reception, you know, perception of Washington definitely, definitely changed with recruits that are being recruited as well as some of the commits that have committed to other schools for next year, it's opened up their eyes a lot as well. And that leads me to the next question, Scott. There's a lot of guys that have committed to out-of-state schools. Mm-hmm. Washington's only got a couple spots left available, you know. And well, that if, aren't taken yet. Yeah, I there could be more than yeah. Yeah, but you know, uh, you know, I talked to Courtney Morgan a little bit, you know, and he says, yeah. You know, these spots, these offers that we have right now, the spots that we have left, those are like golden tickets, and we're treating them as such. They're not just going to take guys. They're looking for high-level guys for those remaining spots. Absolutely are. Yeah, and they're, they've only got four open scholarships, I think, because they're going to take – they're going to save at least two for portal transfers and things like that. But, um, you know, they're at 19. I think they'll get to 22, 23, somewhere in there. Um, but there are a couple guys who could end up leaving from the class that are in the class, and some of them might just like another school better, but I think more than anything, Washington might be more than happy to let them go and move on to somebody else, so we'll just have to see. And also the number will be affected by attrition, mm-hmm. so there, you know, there could be current players on this team right now that could you know, decide to make, you know, make a choice to go somewhere else, and that could – change the number as well. I mean, I, I, I hate to put you on the spot, but that 22-23 number, that's built in a lot of attrition already. Yeah, it already it, it's at least, uh, I think, 10. Yeah, I mean, so. that's booking 10 guys with attrition mm-hmm. right now. You know, so you yeah. go beyond 10 attrition, and it might be a little bit more. Well, it's well just when we're talking about attrition, though, you're talking about, like, guys graduating – that type of thing, right? Going we're not to talking about possibly leave to the NFL. Yeah, but we're not talking about. Guys I'm including that... every aspect of. I'm including every aspect of attrition. Okay. From retiring for medical reasons, from uh, transferring out, yeah, from about early to entry to, to the NFL, number. and from graduation. Well, they're still dealing with the 2020 effects. So there's yep. a lot of guys that have the extra year yep. that you know could take it mm. or could move on. Yep. 
Yeah, and that's why it's going to be so interesting because let me let's say um, let's say you get down to it and um, you know you've only got a couple of rides left. You know, do you take a high school kid that's a good player that you think could be a good player, or do you save that and bring in a third-year guy out of the transfer portal who might have a couple years? Uh, to me, the transfer portal is just like JC recruiting, only you have better tape and uh, and uh, transcripts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, some of it is that, but some of it is you didn't play. And if you're not playing, why aren't you playing? Gary Bryant says he's yeah. leaving USC. Is that a guy that you would take? <sighs> I would definitely look at him. With this offense? Yeah. I don't know how you wouldn't take, <laughs> yeah. take a I would big look ball at away. him. I mean, but you got to see. Does he have everything I know about Gary Bryant? Good kid, hard worker, all that kind of stuff. But things change with these kids. Yeah. They become, they can become better workers. They can become worse workers. There's a lot of different things ways come to into look their at. life. Yeah. And people come into their life. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it, you know, look what happened to the Beatles with Yoko Ono. I mean, she screwed that whole thing up. And so, and 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 um, I'm gonna shake that off my bingo you know, card. Yeah, and uh, who's you know, got Yoko Ono, mom? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, or or Yoko Ono girlfriend, girlfriend. or yeah. or I mean, Russell Wilson's girlfriend, Sierra. I mean, I mean, she screwed that whole thing up for a while. Yeah. So, I mean, just a lot of different things that that can come in and. and People, you know, you can get a trainer that, a quote-unquote trainer, you know, or a confidant, or especially with the way the NIL is now. I mean, we're reading stories about these handlers and all that different stuff that are going on. So there's so many things that you have to consider when you're bringing these kids in. The biggest thing is how do they impact the chemistry of this of the program that we have worked so hard over the last nine to ten months? Well, what I was going to say, Kim, that when you talk about the portal and – the guys that you're looking and what would fit, and it's all about fit. We know that mm-hmm. all going all the way back to Pete, how fit is so important to culture. I know people get sick of that, but it is true. It's so huge. Well, especially when you're just a new staff bringing it yeah. in. But I was going to say you've got certain buckets of guys that will fall into when you look at the portal. You look at the grad guys, like Talapapa, Bright, guys that were like former captains, guys like that. I think those are the guys that take priority in this system. If you need a guy at a certain position, like if they need another uh, linebacker, like if if Ulafosio, and I'm not, I'm saying this just hypothetically, I have no idea. But if let's say he never comes back, let's say he can't come back from his injury, or mm-hmm. it it just it lingers on for a while, mm-hmm. do they go for another grad guy? Do they go for another guy who was like a, a two or three year captain that they can find who wants to be a grad guy at a place like Washington? It's attractive. It's attractive to those guys. But now you also have guys like Will Nixon. Who just got he got moved to a totally different position that that he should never have probably been in in a bad coaching situation in Nebraska. So that's another bucket. You got the injury bucket, like Penix. You know, you got guys that have that kind of history, but you have to do your due diligence. There are so many different things that they can pull resources from. But like I said before, it's culture fit. That's the most important thing when I would be looking well, at Sark, it. Sark Sark was going after just the best football players. Fit didn't really matter you know whether they had grades or not you know the those kind of guys but when pete got here they had to you know there were requirements mm-hmm. and it looks like kaylin DeBoer's is pretty much on the same page as coach pete mm-hmm. you know you he's gonna you know go after those okgs and i know people's heads are going to explode when we talk about that but uh he's gonna that's your term that's not their term yeah, <laughs> yeah. but um you know i, I think he's gonna he's going they're not just there. gonna look at a five-star guy and go it's a pain we in want the butt. him yeah, we, we, that, got now they're gonna say they're gonna say, okay, he's five stars, he's talented, 
what does he bring with him? Yeah. He, what are the, all the other things? How it much isn't just about getting the best guys. How much maintenance from is an he, athlete the people standpoint. around him? Is he going to well, be looking for an NIL? Does he work hard? Yeah. Does he work hard? Because a five-star athlete can become a two-star athlete real quickly in a college football Well, and this world. is where you go back to, to Don James and Dick Barrett and those ten tough questions that they would always ask, you know, in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, if, if, if something goes wrong, are you going to quit? You know, and, you know, do, can you play hurt or are you injured? You know, though, I mean – just a bunch of different things that are like that that will just basically – they require – basically it's a test of what kind of character you have. Because, again, you know, you bring out the cliches. It's like when adversity hits, it doesn't necessarily show if you have character or not. It reveals your character. Wrap it up, Scott Eklund. we got Stanford 730, your favorite starting time on Saturday night. And Actually, it's my second least favorite. You know what my first one is? Eight. Eight. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm not expecting 405 to be closed this week, so that's a good thing. But mm-hmm. uh, we'll get a traffic update if necessary. But go ahead and wrap it up for us, Scott. Uh, yeah, um, we're, I, the only thing I'm worried about is a letdown by this team. And because, you know, they haven't experienced this in a little while, being on the national stage like this and, and be, having everybody love on them from a national standpoint, you know, um, I – I have a feeling this staff is going to keep them focused, and and Stanford is a is a team that that uh, has had Washington's number in a lot of different ways. So um, they are not as talented. Washington should go in and beat win this game relatively easily, but I'm worried about it being a trap game. So it was good to hear the players talk about the one and zero mindset. The coaches talk about it. But uh, proof will be in the pudding on Saturday. Chris Fetters. Yeah, I I think the mind the the, the emotional letdown thing is always something that you have to factor in because we've seen it happen so many times and these coaches have talked about it ryan grubb said we've been on the we've been on the on both ends of it mm-hmm. you know going against a team that had an emotional letdown and we've also had our own emotional letdowns so it happens and they they know how to deal with it but whether the team responds the way they need them to is obviously going to be the proof with stanford specifically though coming off a bye week Everybody was so shocked when they started running that slow mesh against USC. And that I don't think they can necessarily make massive adjustments within a two-week span because that was, that was something that they worked on their whole offseason. But how much of an adjustment and how much can they change things in two weeks I think will also be something to really watch for. And losing EJ Smith is huge. Again, it would be, you know, if – I wouldn't say it would be the same if Washington lost Panix because it's two different positions. But in terms of impact, that guy can have a huge impact on this game. And for him to not play is... It would is, be like UW losing Jalen Polk right now. Yeah, or, or something that, that's someone that's that productive. So I'm be looking for that as well. But overall, this is a situation where traditionally Washington and Stanford have played very close games. The series is 44-44-4 right now. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And so do I think it shouldn't be a close game? Yes. On paper, Washington should win this. And like you said, it should win it comfortably, probably by 10 to 14 points. I think the spread is around 14. 14. I know a lot of people are picking the line on this. They're picking Washington, uh, but they're picking Stanford to cover. So we'll see what happens with that. Um I just get the sense that when it comes down to it, Washington is not going to get stopped by Stanford defensively. This is all going to be about how Washington can contain Tanner McKee, get them off the field, and then let Michael Penix run the show. 
Because right now I haven't seen anything from Stanford's defense that tells me they're ready for what they're going to see on Saturday. Not sure how big the crowd is going to be on Saturday, but I imagine it'll be good. The good thing is I expect the student section to be full. Uh, Catherine, our interim intern, uh, I was asking her because school hasn't started yet and asking why there were so many students. She says, well, everybody's moved in. They didn't have anything else to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of anticipating that on Saturday night, too, to having a full student well, section. And they made a difference on Saturday. A lot, a lot of the fraternities are moving in this week. Fraternities yeah. and sororities are moving in. It was last week, most of them. Yeah. Well, I know our intern is moving into a frat, and it's this week. So yeah. it's today. Actually. It's the newbies moving yeah. in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Newbies moving in this week because they just said, uh, as Cat. Yep. I won't say what Catherine Yeah, don't it. call it. Yep. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Yeah, but uh, also, you know, just a couple of things, you know, people, you know, the get off my lawn crowd, you know, saying that it was, you know, just a poor um, image of Washington fans uh, storming the field. Uh, I got news for you. It wasn't the fans who stormed the field. It was the students, mm-hmm. you know, and they were having fun out there. So I have no problem whatsoever mm-hmm. with students rushing the field. Um I talked to George Klyovkov and asked him if he uh, if he was going to waive the fine, and he said he would neither confirm nor deny, and he said it wasn't that big anyways. Um, I asked Jen Cohen if he waived the fine, and she said it was $10,000, and it sounded like he it's one of those things where you defer a ticket, you know, where they waive it unless you have another one within the year. So it sounds like that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Because the last time, I'm trying to remember, the last time the field was stormed was, was at the Stanford game. Sounds like 2016. That's what it sounds like. That's what people said. Okay. Yeah. Well, the the only one I remember, I remember the USC uh, in oh nine in oh nine. Yeah. It, I think it sounds but, better if but, Jen contested it, like contesting the fine. Yeah. Contesting the ticket. But the last time when they did that against Stanford, one of the big boosters walked by Jen and said, "I'll pay the fine." Yeah. So um, that's what's that. So again, seven thirty kickoff. Um, it's going to be a busy week again, so uh, nobody will cover better than the guys from Dogman.com. No promos running right now for subscriptions, but you know the thing of it is, if you pay the ninety-nine bucks for the year, it includes after the seven-day trial, it includes Paramount Plus. Now that doesn't, if you're on the promo, it does not include the Paramount Plus. So um, what is Paramount Plus? Eight ninety-nine a month. So not sure. Yeah. Um, so you it's get basically CBS. Yeah, so. you get uh, Paramount Plus for free, which might make your Yellow Stone. Significant other will be happy. So, anyways, for all of us at Dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eckland. Go dogs. CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.